0: Mark chapter 4. Looking at, starting at verse 35. And then I'm going to tie two stories in that go hand in hand. I'm going to look at the end of chapter 4 and go into part of chapter 5. Let's start with chapter 4, verse 35. Remember, everything that Jesus is doing is for a reason. He is teaching these 12 men Everything about him and his power and his story and why he's there, because he's going to leave them and they are going to go into the nations and make disciples. But they have to know him, biblically, personally, everything, and they have to see his power because they're going to have to rely upon it. So here we have this really unique, really fun story, actually. Um, And it says in verse 35 of chapter 4 in the book of Mark, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. And when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And the little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, So what we see here is Jesus is putting them in the middle of the storm. And then we ask that simple question, did Jesus know the storm was going to be there? Yep. Of course he did. He had to teach them something. And it was for a reason. It was a sign pointing back into the scriptures of who he was, right? He always does it. It seems like every time Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee with them in a storm, it was always at what time? At nighttime. It was dark. The winds and the waves are going crazy. And the disciples are terrified, right? And I'm going to explain this passage, but I'm going to now read the rest of um, where I want to go here to um, chapter 5, 1 through 20. keep following along here because it's part of the storyline. And when they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs a man in an unclean spirit. Before I move on, turn on your imagination. Turn on that video camera. Picture what was happening here. This is a really remarkable story that it takes your... Just read it and imagine if you were in the position of the disciples just getting off a boat and Jesus calms the winds and the waves with three words. Whew, right? Finally, we're getting there. Now, out of nowhere, this man with the unclean spirit runs to Jesus Immediately, it says, when Jesus gets out of the boat. And in verse 3, I'm going to come back. I'll just read verse 3 again. And he, or who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him. And the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones and when he saw Jesus from afar he ran and worshiped him and he cried out with a loud voice and said what have i to do with you jesus son of most high god i implore you by god that you do not torment me and he said to him come out of the man unclean spirit and he jesus asked him what is your name And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding near the mountains. And so all the demons, can you picture this? All the demons begged Jesus, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission and then all the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. And there were about 2,000 and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. All those groceries just went away. All those pork chops, all that bacon. Just, you know what I'm talking about, right? Just 2,000 of these things just went off the cliff and, and drowned in the ocean. Or in the sea of Galilee. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw that the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon possessed and about the swine. And they begged, to plead with him to depart from the region. And when he got into the boat, he, had been de- he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in the Decapolis and all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. These stories go together, and I'll explain why. But let's go back to the wind and the waves first to understand the context and the setting. So Jesus throws them out into the sea. He goes with them and finds himself asleep in the stern. These are fishermen. This is their place of work, the Sea of Galilee. They know the Sea of Galilee. They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and it's completely dark. It's night out. It says it. And then that, that, that wind comes, and when the wind comes specifically from the east, when it comes down into the Sea of Galilee, it can literally cause waves up to 10 feet high. We don't know how high the waves were, but these fishermen thought they were what? They were going to die. They were very fearful, it said, that they were going to die. Water was coming into the boat. They were sweeping it out of the boat. Can you picture this? And where is Jesus? Sleeping in the stern. And then they come to him and they say to him, teacher, don't you care? We're perishing. And he stands up and he says three words, peace, be still. And boom, you can just picture it like glass from these crazy waves to like glass. And you think the reaction from these people, these in the boat, the disciples, would be what? Let's have a party. Our life saved. But what does it say about them? When they found out, they said to their minds, who can this be that can calm the wind and the waves and the wind and the waves even obey him? It says they were exceedingly fearful, meaning they were more afraid in the calm than they were in the storm. Did you catch that? why were they now more afraid when their life has been spared the sea is like glass they got the guy in here who actually can even calm the wind and the waves the reason why is because now these good hebrew disciples these men they knew the word of god they knew the holy scriptures the old testament and it starts to click in their minds who is sitting in this boat it's the creator of the universe and how would you feel at that moment this guy can read your mail You can look right into your soul, right? How would you feel if you were a disciple? And why is Jesus doing this? Because to a Hebrew, the waters meant something. Leviathan comes out of the water. Even in Uganda, if they're talking about the demon possessed or if they're talking about evil things or evil teaching, they'll say, oh, you're from under the water. That sounds crazy to us because we don't think that way with water. But this dark, murky waters, these waves, who could be in charge of these waves and these winds and who can just command them to stop? What is Jesus proving to them? Where in Scripture do you go back to to see what Jesus is fulfilling? Because everything he is doing is a sign of something and the purpose of a sign is what? To get you to the right direction to point you to the right direction that you want to go. So he's performing all these signs and wonders. Well, these signs are pointing back into the Old Testament. And you don't have to go any further than Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Everybody turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, we all know that one, God created the heavens in the earth, who's the creator? God is, he creates it. The earth was without form, void. Darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of the God was hovering over the waters. So here in the Hebrew, what that's saying is without form and void, in the Hebrew, if you look it up, tohu, it means chaos, confusion. You get this sense of depression. And then you have to ask yourself the question, why did God create the earth that was dark, depressing, and chaotic? You get this picture of this ball of the earth was without form. The waters were over it. And there was no form. It was just absolute chaos and confusion. And what do you have that's right above all that chaos, confusion, and the darkness? The Spirit's hovering. Right? So what we have here is God giving us a storyline, not just... So what we teach our pastors in the school is starting from the very beginning, God sets up his story because he's a literary genius. He sets it up to like think of it as two rails, like a railroad track. The first one is the physical track, something that actually happens. It's a historical account, how God creates something, or a story that actually happened, like King David or something like that, right? Or the ark that Noah built. It it literally happened, right? So you have this physical track, and right below it is the spiritual track. And God takes his creation, and he puts it in play, the physical track, but then he has a storyline, a spiritual track. For instance... The ark that Noah builds, what does it spiritually represent? That God's salvation, that Jesus will save you from the wrath, right? Manna from heaven. Did it actually come down from heaven? Yes, but what was the spiritual track to that? What was the spiritual meaning? That the word of God will come to you daily and supply your every need. Jesus is the bread, right? The rock that gives you water in the wilderness literally happened. But what's it mean? It's Jesus Christ who will quench your thirst and your drought, right? And so even from the very beginning, you have this physical track. That how God creates the heavens and the earth. He had the power to create it good. He had the power to create it with light, but he chose not to. He chose to create darkness, the scripture says in Psalms 104 and 105. He even created darkness. It's really weird to even think about, but He even created darkness, it says. Why? Because He is going to show His glory in the midst of it. And it's going to be a storyline that starts that He is even telling you that this world is going to be chaotic and confusing, and He is going to fix it. He is going to bring sense of it. He is going to bring His Son into the world to defeat that darkness and eliminate that confusion and chaos. So go ahead and start reading here in verse 3. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light, God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Now John chapter 1, he tells you that it was Jesus that came to defeat the darkness. It tells us in revelation 19 that there's no need for a sun or moon or the stars because the lamb of god jesus is the light so this right here that light what is it going to refer to in the future it's going to be jesus who's going to come into a dark world so from the beginning god's giving us the storyline he's giving us the storyline and here is, these disciples are in the middle of this water that's confusing and chaotic and it's dark And he says, peace, be still. And boom, it's like glass. And Jesus, what he is going to do, he's going to send these men out into a dark world to be the calming force, to be the ones who are going to bring peace to the world that's in confusion and chaos and darkness. We are to be the light of the world. You get that. We have a position in this, we have a spot to play in this, when we have the Holy Spirit, we have the gentleness, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the long-suffering, we go out into the world in somebody else's confusion and darkness, and then we enter in, we bring them Jesus, who's the peace of the world. Just three words, peace be still, and boom, they realized who was in the boat. Now, some of you are like, yeah. Maybe, is this how this works? Everybody turn to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Let's look what John sees at the end times here. Revelation chapter 4 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven... And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, and I will show you the things that which must take place after this. And immediately I was in the spirit, John says. And behold, a throne set in heaven, the one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper, sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne and the appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, who had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And listen, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were the four living creatures of the eyes in the front and in the back. Before the throne was like a sea of crystal. There's not a ripple before the throne room of God. To a Hebrew, they're looking at that and they're piecing this stuff all together because it's all symbolism to them that the symbolism tells a story. That before God's throne, there is no confusion. There is no darkness. There is no chaos. It's completely peace. And that rainbow that's around his throne, that was the, peace, that was the covenant of peace. Isaiah says, the rainbow that God will never destroy the people like that again. He's going to bring peace in the world through Jesus Christ. We know that. So before the throne of God, you just see this. There's just absolute peace and no confusion standing before him, just looking at that. And so here now the disciples are seeing the God that the scriptures are talking about in his power. And what does it look like now in action When they get out of the boat after this whole thing just played out, what do they see? A man who has a storm in his life, if you will, who also creates storm in other people's lives. This man was chaotic. This man was in confusion. This man was completely demonic. And when Jesus walks out of that boat and he sees that man running to him, why is that man running to him? To bow down to him. Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking? what is happening? This is the craziest day of our lives, right? And Jesus starts speaking to him with authority, and all that demon could do was bow to Jesus, and he was a strong demon, a legion. Thousands, right? Of demons in this, and Jesus had absolute power and authority, over the demonic world, like he had absolute power and authority over the natural world of the wind and the waves. And he delivers that man, and he sends out the demons, and that man now is sitting in his right mind. And when the community saw it, what was their response? Fear. You notice that? When God moves, people have fear. They even kicked him out of the place. They told Jesus, you have to leave. This is not good for us here you're disturbing us and everybody marveled at what just happened because this is what they are going to experience when Jesus leaves the disciples are going to be sent out into the world into a dark world with his power and his word with his spirit to be the light to bring peace in people's lives because they're in absolute darkness and chaos That's what we do as a church. That's what we do in a community. That's what we do individually. We are to be equipped and ready to go out to do the mission of God. And that looks like not just this. Now, this right here is crazy. This is like above and beyond. Probably none of you have experienced anything like this demoniac, right? But since I have time, I didn't think I would have time. I'm just going to narrate the next two stories in line here. And you can go back and read them. After he heals this demoniac, he gets back into the boat, goes to the other side. And as soon as he gets out, Jairus comes, a leader in the community, the synagogue. And he says, my daughter is going to die. Would you please come and heal her? And as he's going to heal Jairus' daughter, a mob of people were around Jesus, and some lady who has been bleeding for 12 years, has spent all her money on three doctors. Has completely been ostracized because of the blood law in the Hebrew community. She has no friends to hang out with. She can't go to communion. She can't do anything in the church, right? In the synagogue, because she's dirty because of the Levitical law. She's been ostracized, but yet she sees Jesus and she doesn't care and she goes in with her dirty self, if you will. And touches the hem of his garment and he says, what just happened? My power just went out before me. And the disciples are like, Jesus, everybody's touching you. She's like, no, somebody touched me with faith. Turns around, that lady's what? On the ground, fearful. Because she had been healed at that moment and she felt it. That woman had been in a storm for 12 years. She had been in chaos and confusion for 12 years. This is what this means when Jesus is calming the wind and the waves. How do we apply it to our context here? Well, how do we apply this? How did the disciples, were they to apply this? That we are to get into people's lives who are in this confusion and darkness and chaos and bring peace to them, bring them Jesus. And that woman now was healed. Now she could worship God and be in the community with people. And then as he's going, after she's healed, somebody came and said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. He said, she's not dead. Jairus had a storm that his daughter was dying and all he had was the hope of Jesus. Not the other leaders in the synagogues, not the high priest or anybody. It was Jesus alone that could heal her. And he went to Jesus and Jesus goes and heals that girl and she becomes alive again, that he has power, not only the wind and the waves over the, the, the demons, not over our physical bodies with the blood, but also with this girl. She can even raise her from the dead. All within 24 hours, this is what Jesus showed the disciples. Could you imagine what that was like? That would be the craziest probably day of ministry for them. But how do we then take this information and put it into action? That's what we're trying to figure out in Uganda because it is a world turned upside down for so long. How do we turn it right side up? What solution do we have other than Jesus and the word of God? We don't have anything else. What, what power do we have as Christians apart from the word of God and the Holy Spirit? He just asks us to go out into the world. My world is Uganda. Your world is probably just Denver here, right? But I'm there because of the darkness that I saw and God drew me to that to be a light there. And what we're seeing is salvation all over the place. Every time we go out, we're seeing people who, these widows, the fatherless children, the people who had been abducted in the war, as children of eight years old, nine years old, and then returned nine years later from out of the bush. They came back. What do you think their lives are like? Do you think they have peace in their heart? The things they had to do? How do I tell my gate guard, Martin, who was abducted at the age of eight and then escaped at the age of 15 from Sudan, walked all the way down, took him three months to get back to Uganda to turn himself in. How do we bring peace to that man? How do we bring, get him to understand forgiveness when he assaulted so many people, not because he wanted to, because he had to? How about our chaplain who was abducted at the age of 12 and became Joseph Coney, the commander of the Lord's Resistance Army, became his treasury, or treasurer, excuse me, and then somehow escaped at the age of 19. All the things he, was, he took part in. He has a some, he still has those in his mind. How do we get him to separate from that? And it's only through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. There's no psychological method that you can do to get somebody to make peace with that. You can get somebody to try to forget it, but not make peace. And it's only Jesus that can bring peace in situations like this. We have people returning from the war and they're afraid to come back because they had to kill their neighbor's mom. Because they were forced to when they were given the AK-47. And then how is the neighbor, child of the mom who was killed by this kid, how are they supposed to find forgiveness and peace? They had been in a storm for so long. And what Jesus is saying is, I can come into their lives, I can come into this culture, I can come into this community, and I can bring peace through the word of God because I have the power to. He has the power to defeat Darkness. Through the word of God, through the blood, through the Jesus, his, his way of forgiving us when we're sinners, that's the power that we have. And so when we go out into the world, what are we armed with? The word of God. And so we have to know the word of God and we have to walk in the word of God. Every single day of our lives, we have to wake up, poor in spirit, say, I have nothing to offer except you. I need your power to go out because I'm completely spiritually bankrupt. I'm completely poor in spirit. Would you please today give me your gentleness, your kindness, your long suffering to help out with somebody in my office, in my community, with my child, with my wife, whatever it is in your life, whatever storm somebody's having, it could be in your house, in your marriage, what is the solution? It's Jesus. Pure and simple, don't overcomplicate it. Put yourself before Christ in that boat, and you become exceedingly fearful because we know where wisdom starts the fear of the Lord. And that's where you find your peace so you can give peace. But how can you extend peace or an olive branch if you don't even have it in your own life and in your own heart to begin with? So where do we start tomorrow when you wake up? Where do we start tonight? Can you think of a storm in someone's life? Maybe it's yours. My sister has a kidney problem in her prayer. Would you please pray for her? Because that's not easy to deal with. What is it that's in your life that you need Jesus to come in because you feel like you're in this boat and he's nowhere around. He's just sleeping. But Jesus said, well, you you have little faith. That's what he said to the disciples. You have little faith. Can you not believe that I have the ability to do this? But I sent you in the storm for a reason. Maybe you can submit to the will of God and say it's okay to be in the storm. And have that biblical worldview that God sometimes puts you in a storm. Because some people think, oh, it must be Satan to put me in the storm. Well, that wasn't Satan that put them out in the middle of the storm. It was Jesus. Do you think that Jesus, it, does your biblical knowledge and your worldview show you that sometimes he puts you in a hard situation. He's sovereign to do that. He even did it with his own son. So what makes us think that we can get out of that treatment? We praise him no matter what. If we're put in the prison like Paul in Philippi, after they beat me 39 times with rods, what are you gonna do, complain or are you gonna sing hymns like Paul in prison? He knew. I'm in a dark situation right now. I'm going to praise the one who's the light of the world. I'm going to sing hymns to him, even with my back web. That's amazing. But look what the response was. The Philippian jailer came to Christ because of that. And the church of Philippi started. Because Paul had a biblical worldview that made sense. Because it came out of scripture. That even from the beginning, God was telling us, it's not going to be easy. He's going, this world will be dark spiritually, but he has a plan to bring peace to it and bring light to it. And that's why we came to Christ because probably more than likely we had a storm in our lives. Because I did. When I came to Christ at the age of 23, there was a little bit of a storm in my life and I realized that this is not where I want to be. And I asked him to come into my life. And so tonight, there's some of you in storms and there's some of you that says, you know what? I'm thankful that he delivered me from a storm. I want to get into someone else's storm. I want to take the power of Jesus into someone else's life so they can have peace in their circumstances. They can find Jesus and their circumstances look like glass compared to his majesty. Amen. So tonight we're going to ask anybody who is in a storm, to come up and get prayer. Anybody who's feeling called to go out into the world, whether it's here locally or internationally, because you feel called that this is what I'm supposed to do, come up and be a part of this prayer time so you can speak to the Lord and somebody can help intercede on your behalf. And then tomorrow when we wake up, maybe it just be a new day. His mercies are new every day. And that's what we need tomorrow. And that's what we need for tomorrow. I just need him. And tomorrow I might just call out to Jesus like I don't have a smile to give to anybody. Can I please have your smile? Put it on my face because I don't have the power to sit there and smile at this person or those people tomorrow. I just don't have it in me. I need your gentleness. I need your kindness. I need your patience. I need your long suffering with these people. Oh, my child has been giving me a tough time. I need your long-suffering for him or her. Whatever it is, ask him. How do you apply the scripture to your life? So everybody, please stand up. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, please come forward and get prayer and ask somebody to pray with you. Um, please come visit me at the, at the, um, in the foyer out there and get on our prayer list so you can find out what's going on and know how to pray for what's going on with terrible Ministries in Uganda. But it's been a privilege to be able to teach, teach you tonight and to share the scriptures with you. And as I pray, um, the, the worship team will come out and may we seek Jesus. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that as the scriptures are read and they're told that we all take them and try to understand why you're putting the disciples in the boat in the middle of the sea and why take them to this demoniac. And allow them to even experience this woman bleeding, and uh, and allow them to experience this Jairus' daughter, and then the power that you display over all those situations. And that the unique thing is, everybody is fearful of your power after you, after you display it. And help us to be a little bit mindful of that as well. But Lord, even from the beginning, your storyline that you are going to bring light into darkness. And maybe the darkness doesn't comprehend it as John says, but you came and tabernacled with, you dwelt with us and displayed your glory. We see in the revelation that is your just absolute power and authority and worthy to be bowed down and praised to and before your throne is like a sea of glass. And maybe we just even meditate upon that where there's this absolute peace before you. or you are the light. That makes sense of everything from beginning to end first and last you're the Alpha and the Omega and so tonight we pray with earnest hearts with faith that this is not just a story but this is something that can actually impact our lives like it did the disciples you tell you tell us that we are supposed to go into the world and to teach all that you commanded and Lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. You're with us tonight even. You're with us tomorrow. You're always with us. I pray for those who don't know you that this would be the moment they come forward and receive your salvation. I pray for those who are in storms of their own that they would come and receive a prayer of encouragement, a prayer of faith over them. And may we rejoice in your name because of who you are. Amen.